Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. talk about the blood and body of Jesus today. I'm going to pray again before before we do that. If I can just get all oh, the ushers doing a couple things at the same time and let them finish that. We're going to hand out the communion. Um, we're not going to take it right now, but you guys can, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, we're going to hand it out. Just hold on to it. I want you guys to kind of have it with you as we're speaking the message today uh, as a visual of what we're talking about. You know, Thank you. Past two or three years, um, the Lord's really began to highlight just the importance of of the table of the Lord and the elements of communion. Uh, I think maybe it was over two years ago now, and I've shared this dream here a couple times, but I had a dream, and in the dream, um, we were about to have a stadium gathering. If you've ever been to a stadium gathering before, whether it's one of the calls or the sends or, you know, Billy Graham events, but before anyone could come into this stadium for this in this stream, they had to go into side rooms first. And when they came to the side rooms, I was the one leading the side rooms. We were to instruct everyone before they come in, come into the side room, and we're going to take communion together. And as we were leading them in communion. Uh, in, in the dream, we all had, you know, these cups, and the cups had different ridges in it, and we were giving instruction and saying, we're going to take communion together, but we're going to take it for this, and we're going to take it for this, and we're going to take it for this. And then after we would take communion, then we would send them into the stadium, and then we would do that with every group of people coming in. They couldn't go into the meeting. They couldn't go into the stadium until they first came into the side room and they, they took communion. And I woke up from the dream, and in that morning the Lord spoke to me, and he spoke to me two things. He said, Rich, if, if my people would commune with me again, if they would actually come into the secret place and, and spend time with me again, then I could send them forth. I could apostle them. I could send them forth. And also this reality, if my people would approach the table of the Lord, the elements with a reverence again, that there would actually be a power that they get sent with. And, you know, we, at the time, we felt to call 21 days of communion, so we took communion every day for 21 days. For those of you who don't know my story, um, you know, I've been grew up in church, but I've been uh, leading a house of prayer, helping lead a house of prayer in New Jersey for 15 plus years called Resting Place. And so when I say we were doing 21 days of communion, that's where I was doing that two years ago. But I called Tammy and Bill and Sal and Jewel, and I was like, hey, this is what's going on. And I know a bunch of you guys jumped on with us. Now here I am, part of the us here, which is awesome. Uh, so, but we did 21 days of communion. And in those 21 days, we... We didn't necessarily see like the fruition of the dream, though I, I think we will see something like that in the coming days, and I'll, I'll talk into that a little bit more. But what we did see in our personal lives 
were things that were in limbo, breakthroughs, things that the Lord convicted us, things that we didn't even know that needed to be realigned. The Lord began to bring a realignment to our, our personal lives and to our families. And I remember even hearing testimony. Um, one of my good friends is Ali Farrell. He's the one, it's the, the leader of Resting Place. And at the time, he was having a lot of issues really his whole life with his father. And the testimony that came out of the 21 days of communion was for the first time in his life in the 38, 39 years, however old he was at the time, where he really had no breakthrough, no relationship with his dad. In that 21 days, he began to just lay down his offenses, lay down his expectations, and begin to pray for his relationship with him and his father. And in that 21-day period, it's like everything turned around. And he went from this thing of like butting heads with his dad to his dad who really didn't know the Lord, knew the Lord, you know, grew up in the nation of Islam. And, you know, Ali grew up in two separated households, mom, Christian, dad, uh, you know, serving Islam. And then in that 21-day period, his dad just began to have this turn and begin to saying, like, Ali, pray for me. Ali, pray for me. Ali, I need this peace. Ali, I need, I need to have this thing that you have. And that was just one testimony of dozens throughout our community of people who, you know, and again, it's not like this, they did all 21 days, but no, they entered into some sort of part of what the Lord was saying, and we saw the Lord move. And it kind of brought in this, this uh, journey with me and the Lord of the table of the Lord and the communion elements and beginning to study both in history and both in the scriptures the way that we've, we're told to approach this table. And I know, you know, if you grew up Catholic, they, they believe that it's the, you know, when you partake, it literally becomes the blood and the body of Jesus. And that's a whole nother thing. You know, we don't necessarily, you know, enter into that belief. But what I would like to propose to you today is this is more than just a cracker and it's more than just grape juice. And I think what the Lord is inviting us to, not just as a church, but even the body of Christ at large, is approaching his throne and coming back to remembrance of what happened when his body was broken and when his blood was spilt. And the reality that he established himself, which we'll read, Jesus was the first one to, to establish that we're going to, you know, I want you, every time you gather, do this in remembrance of me. He took the bread, he took the wine, and he showed them. Uh, I actually love the, the fact that in two, I think it's in Matthew and Mark, in two of the accounts, they took communion together with the Lord, and then it says that they sang a hymn together. And I, I actually believe that there's something tied to our practice of worship that needs to be restored, that it's not just this pause in our worship service to remember something that happened as a history lesson, but it's a part of our worship expression to the Lord to enter in in the partaking of the body and the blood of Jesus. I think it's more than just a cracker and more than just wine, more than just juice, because Jesus says to his disciples, says it in front of the, the Pharisees, you know, if you do not eat my flesh, if you do not drink my blood, you can have no part of me. But he who eats my body and drinks my blood, I will abide in them and they will abide in me. And again, we're not saying that we're literally chewing on flesh and drinking blood. Like that's not the point. The point is, it's more than just a cracker and juice. And what I want to challenge us to today is to have a reverence for these elements when we come before it. 
We see in Corinthians that it says that when you come with an irreverence, that's why some among you are sick. Some among you have a shortness of life. Uh, there's a dishonor that comes. There's a disunity that comes when you don't approach this with the surveying of your heart and the surveying of your life and coming before the Lord to come into alignment or to make ourselves right. And we cannot make ourselves right except by his blood and by his body. And so we're gonna, we're gonna go through a bunch of different verses. We're not gonna read them. I'm just gonna give you the reference for, for most of them. We will read some, but I do encourage you, if you have something to take notes with, whether it's an actual journal, whether it's your phone, the notes app, just write down some of the verses. And in your own time, you can go back. For the last about two and a half, three weeks, I did a simple word, word study. I went into the Logos Bible app and I put in blood. I wanted to see all the New Testament accounts where it starts to talk about the blood specifically attached to Jesus, like not, you know, random, uh, you know, the blood of an animal, but this, but doing a study where it's talking about the blood of Jesus, okay? So this is not gonna be every, every verse. Um, you know, I didn't go in and then see like, well, where is it talking about the table of the Lord or where is it talking about the communion of the Lord? You know, I just specifically went in and was looking for the blood of Jesus so again, have something to write it down. I already apologized to Will in the first service. I'll do it again in the second because I did not give him these verses ahead of time. But you did, you did well. So we'll do it again, Will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're saying and what we're doing and what you're doing, Lord. Lord, we want to have a greater revelation of your blood and your body that was broken and what it means not just 2,000 years ago, not just the moment of salvation, but what it means for us today, what it means for us right now, how we can live different, how we can approach life differently, and how we can approach your kingdom, your throne in a different way. And Father, we thank you that we get to enter into the benefits. We get to enter into the benefits of you, Jesus through your blood that was spilt, your body that was broken, that purchased us as a ransom payment, that gave us access to the Father because of the new covenant that you made. So Father, breathe on your word today. Breathe on our hearts. And help me, Lord, to communicate what you've placed on my heart and what you're wanting to say. In Jesus' name. All right. Okay. So in the, in the Gospels, all four accounts, we, we see the Last Supper. I'm sure we've all read it. But a few things I want to point out. Um, when it, he begins to, to show them the wine, he tells them, he goes, this wine and this bread, this is my new covenant. And we see that in Matthew. We see that in Mark. But he says this phrase, it's my new covenant for many. But then I love also in Luke, Luke writes a different, in a different way. He says, this is my new covenant for you. And what stood out to me these past few weeks is this reality that when he died, he, didn't, he did die for, for all humanity. You know, he came for the world, not for the church, as many preachers would say. And the scripture says he came for the world. He died for the world. But he didn't just die for this group of people. He also died specifically for you. Meaning 
if he needed to approach the cross just so that you could get saved, he would have done it just for you. And I think it's a beautiful picture because sometimes we can say like, you know, we can kind of say or disqualify ourselves from the things of God because of shame, before, because of condemnation, because of, you know, the way that we think we lived our life. We're, well, that's these things that we talk about, these things that you hear me or Colt or, or Bill talk on Sunday, that's for them. But you don't understand, Rich, like what I've done in my life. Like, yeah, I, I'm just going to make it in. I'm just going to make it in. But it's this reality. It's like, no, he made this new covenant for many, but he also made it for you. He came on a personal level. He says, not just humanity was the joy before him, but you were the joy before him that brought him to the cross. He had you in mind. He had Rich in mind. He had Tiffany in mind. He had Frank in mind. He had JP in mind. He had each individual in mind. And he took you as the joy that brought him to the cross. And it's a beautiful thing. In Ephesians 1, we see that the picture of the blood is for the redemption or the forgiveness of our sins. In Ephesians 2, it says, those who were were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I don't know about you, but I have many moments in my life, not even before salvation, where I feel far from God. How many of you have had a moment you felt far from God? And what I've learned, and, and this is gonna be a simple message, and I love the simplicity of it, what I've learned, I, I could either dwell in the distance that I feel or I can grab onto some of these scriptures, which is why I'm telling you to write them down. And I, in the moment I feel far, I remember, do you know what? Let me pull out Ephesians 2. Let me get communion. And I partake this, of this with the Lord and I say, okay, Lord, draw me near again. Those who were, were a fur, once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This blood draws you near to the Father. It draws you near to the Lord. This blood is what qualifies you to come closer. John 6, verses 55 to 56, we see that by his blood we have life, we have eternal life. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, or for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And go to the next verse. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And so we see this reality in John 6, 55 to 56, that when we partake, that his blood is the true drink, and when we drink of that, not only do we have eternal life, but we then have Jesus residing, abiding in us. His blood is the reason why Jesus can dwell in your heart and you dwell in his it gives us the ability to abide with him, to be with him. Piggybacking off that Ephesians 2, drawing us near to him. In Acts 20, verse 28, it says that by his blood, he, he's get, having ownership of his church. That it, By his blood, he's purchasing the church. That it was the ransom paid. In Romans 3 and Romans 5, again, we see that it's the provision to be forgiven. And that his blood declares us righteous and saves us from the wrath of God. And I love this in, in Romans 5, 9. Because of our sin, the just penalty of our sin would be to receive the wrath of God. But by his blood, rather than you having a destiny of receiving wrath, he changes your destiny to receive mercy. <laughs> 
And I'm grateful for that. I mean, he, we'll see, see also in the scripture that not only, the reason that that happens is because he goes to the cross as us. He takes your sin, which would happen 2,000 years later, and he takes your nature, your sinful nature, and he took upon his body and his life the wrath that was due to you so that you could have mercy, so that you could live right. First Corinthians 10, verse 16. Why don't you guys turn there with me? It says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This blood, this cup, this bread, he's connecting it again. He's reminding us of what Jesus said. I mean, we're going to read a couple more verses in, in Corinthians. We're going to go on to see the actual count that they, they retell. But he's saying, this thing, he's communi communicating to the Corinthians, it's more than just bread. It's more than just wine. This is his body. This is his blood. You know, this is the challenge that I'm trying to challenge us with today that he's challenging them with right as he begins to start talking about it. This is more than just bread and wine. We're partaking of our Savior. We're partaking and we're remembering. And we're going to talk about what that means as we remember. Again, in 1 Corinthians 11.25, it says that this blood marks his new covenant. Uh, verses 11.25 to, to 34, we'll read a little bit later on. But we see what happens, as I said earlier, when we approach it with the wrong heart. But when we take communion, we're going to see the reality that the opposite happens when we take it with a right heart. And we'll, we'll read through some of that later of the effects of the new covenant. In Colossians 1, let's read through these as well. Chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. You can put it up to the screen. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. I'm gonna go all the way to verse 23. And by him, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. In verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, I love this in Colossians because it starts talking about, what again, what we gain through the blood and body of Jesus. We're reconciled to God. We're made right to God. Uh, we are now able to have this relationship and communion with the Father. But what I love is this little reminder that Paul puts at the end. It's the, you get to continue to feast of this benefits of this reality as long as you continue to be steadfast in the faith. And the reason I love this is because sometimes we, we hear about the, the body, 
body and blood of Jesus and, and the benefits, and it's like, well, Rich, I'm not, I'm not experiencing those benefits. And then I would say, well, what areas of, our lo- of your life are you not holding steadfast, putting hope and faith in Jesus in every area of our life? Maybe we're just being a little bit more leisurely about our life. Maybe we're not being as intentional in certain areas. And I'm, I'm encouraging us to come to the communion table, not just inside these four walls, and not just at home in your secret place, but applying the blood in the body of Jesus in your workplace, in your business, in your school, that these realities are things we get to walk in every day of our life. But it's this challenge, if you wanna put verse 23 back on the screen, it's this, this challenge as long as we continue in the faith and we stay grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. We have a part in it. Jesus did his part where he goes to the cross, he dies, defeats death, he's resurrected and he ascends on high, seated in the heavenly places. Then he invites us in our salvation and we know that in our salvation, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we repent and we turn from our wicked ways and we, we start to walk towards God now, that in that moment is a supernatural encounter. In that moment, you died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, you were raised with Christ, you were seated, and then you were seated, uh, ascended with him and seated in the heavenly places with Christ. How does that happen? I'm not quite sure. But the scripture says that that is our inheritance, that is our reality. But there's a part that we have to play in it's not just about salvation. It's about this now pursuit of God. It's about the application of the truths that we're reading about. And what I'm bringing to your attention today is we have all of these benefits, but are we applying them by staying steadfast and grounded in the word of God, by continuing in the faith? What does that mean to continue in the faith? meaning to continue to walk in the truth in which you first learned. That it's not just a truth you learned once and then you just go on living your life any way that you please, but we live our life according to the faith, according to our belief in Jesus, that we walk not away from the hope of the gospel. So if we're not walking away from the hope of the gospel, then we're supposed to walk towards the hope of the gospel. Everything in our life is meant to continue walking towards him. You know, we're saved and we love him because he first loved us. But after the moment of our salvation, he doesn't stop pursuing you. It says that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of your life. Meaning you all have stalkers called goodness and mercy. What is goodness? What is mercy? It's him. The mercy is this reality that you get to partake of because of the blood and the body of Jesus. Hebrews 2, we see that his blood destroys the power of death, the power of the devil, not just in this world, but in your life. It's the other thing I'm trying to get. It's not, this, it's not just this general thing. He's talking about you. Why don't you guys turn with me to Hebrews 9. You guys good? All right, we're going to read some of this. Hebrews 9, verses 
Well, I'll start at verse 11. It says, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with the hands that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a, of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from every dead work to serve the living God? Let's pause there. Now, I love, I love this passage. I love that they're pointing out he's, he's our kingly high priest. And why, they, why is he the kingly high priest? And because he's, the, he's, he's not just the high priest, but he's also the offering. Now, if you would understand the high priests, they come from the house of, of Levi. But Jesus didn't come from that house. Jesus comes from the house in the order of Mechizeldek. And if you don't know who Mechizeldek is, it's this mysterious guy, this mysterious king in the Old Testament that Abraham, after he's coming back from a victory, just happens across this king. The king, I don't, I don't have time to do the whole thing, but basically Mechizedek was basically like, you know, I want to bless you because the victory that you just won is because of the Lord. And he blesses him and does this whole thing. And then Abraham gives him a tenth of everything that he has. But you have to realize Jesus now comes on the scene and he dies. He's the spotless lamb according to the order of Melchizedek, and he's the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So the, the high priestly order in the old covenant, they would go in once a year. On the day of atonement, they would go in once a year and they would shed the, the blood of bulls and goats, what we were just reading about, um, for the temporary postponement of the penalty of sin for one more year until the next year the next high priest would do it. And not only did they have uh, a sacrifice one time a year, but there was a sprinkling, there was blood sacrifices going on um, before the Lord on a, a more frequent basis than just once a year. And it was a holy thing. The high priest wasn't Jesus. They weren't Jesus. They weren't the spotless lamb. So they needed to deal with their sin first before they can then go and deal with the sin on behalf of the nation. And the way that they would know that the high priest didn't deal with their own sin is they would die the moment they walked into the holy place. And that's why the high priest would have a rope tied around their ankle with a bell on it. As long as they heard that bell ringing, and again, their tabernacle wasn't a building. It was tense, so sound is not being blocked out. So as, as long as they heard the bell ringing, they knew the priest was still alive and everything was going to be okay. But the moment the bell stopped ringing, they're going to get stressed out. And why is the rope? Because they know they can't go in there. They're going to drag the body out. That's why they, with John the Baptist's father, they were all worried because he stopped moving. The bell stopped ringing because he's having this encounter with the angel. And so this is the picture of the old covenant. This is the picture of the old way where they would go in. Uh, and... Jesus comes on the scene, and he is the kingly high priest. He is the picture of, of Melchizedek, where not only is he the king, but he's also the priest. And not only he's the king and priest, but he's also the sacrifice. So these guys are going in, bringing their own sacrifice, but he comes in, and he is the sacrifice. 
And we see in the scripture that Jesus says, Father, you, you don't desire more sacrifice of the blood of bulls and goats. You don't desire more burnt offerings. What you desire is the heart. And he comes, before, he comes on the scene and he lays down his life. And what happens in that moment that he dies on the cross and is resurrected is he fulfills the law. And when he fulfills the law, he fulfills the old covenant and he brings us into a new covenant. It's why when we first hear about the talking of the blood of Jesus from Jesus himself in the gospels, he says, this is the new covenant. Because he, they didn't get this. You know, they didn't have the rest of the New Testament yet. Right, so what he's telling them then at the Last Supper is something that's about to happen. He's saying, I'm about to be lifted up. Again, they're looking at bread and wine, but Jesus understood that it was his body. With Abraham, with the covenants, think of the covenants, right? I'm talking about new covenant. The covenants in the, Old, in the Old Testament, they would be done with the blood of animals. And there was multiple types of covenant. You know, there was a covenant, uh, you know, in Hebrew culture where they would, you know, share a meal together and that's how they would make covenant. Maybe they would plant a tree together and as long as the tree was growing, they had covenant. But then there was the blood covenant. And the blood covenant, what they would do is they would take an animal, they would split it in half, and then they would pass through the animal together, like on each side, and they would go through and they'd be applying the blood and there was a, this whole thing that they would do. And so Jesus where the, the, the Lord makes this covenant with Abraham. Remember, he's telling Abraham, you're gonna have these descendants. Uh, the scripture tells us that we are actually through the blood of Jesus, Abraham's descendants. And so this covenant is important to us because we, through the blood of Jesus, enter into the, Abra the Abraham's covenant. But if you notice with that covenant, what was a little bit different than when, he made, when they would make covenants together, Abraham does not walk through. Normally you would, you know, if I'm making covenant with Sal, we're going to walk through together because my tribe and his tribe are going to make covenant. And the reason they would make covenant like that is we're saying we're for each other, not just to be for each other, but if, if someone attacks you, it's like they're attacking us. And my army is going to be your army and your army is going to be my army. But he doesn't do that with Abraham. It says that the, the, the smoke and the fire, that thing, it passes through and makes the covenant. Why? Because the covenant that God would make, it was a picture of the new covenant that would come, could never be sustained on the other half of it by us. He would take the full responsibility of sustaining and fulfilling the covenant to Abraham and was saying to Abraham, because he's trying to, you know, you're going to have kids in old age, your, your wife is all dried up, like it's this whole reality, like Abraham needed this constant reminder. You know, and then after that he says, now look up in the stars, look at the sand. But in the new covenant, it's the same reality. When he makes this covenant with us, he is the one that laid it down. He doesn't say that we physically have to do it, but it does say that we, in our hearts, have to you know, take up our own cross. And we, but we enter into that through his blood. And the reason that he does it that way is if he's the one that makes the covenant, then he's the one that will sustain it. And the only requirement for you is to enter into it by faith. And not just enter into it by faith, but to continue to pursue your hope in the gospel. And to approach things like the blood and body that we're doing today, knowing that it's more than just a cracker, more than just, just wine. 
than just juice, but there are physical, tangible, practical breakthroughs and benefits that we can be walking in on a daily basis because of the blood and body of Jesus. I'm going to read through some of the notes just for the sake of time that I have. You know, we see, again, when you have time, read through Hebrews 9 through 13. Um, I'm just going to make reference to some of these things, but it's just a beautiful picture of, of what happened with, from the old covenant going to the new. See, the old covenant required, also required blood sacrifice, but when they would sacrifice that once a year on the Day of Atonement, it didn't fulfill anything. It only postponed. So it was still a, a yearly or a daily reminder of sin. But when Jesus lays down his life and we get to partake of the blood of Jesus in this sacrifice, it's not to remind us of our sin, it's to remove our sin. And then this sacrifice, when we remember it, is not a reminder. When we come to the table of the Lord, we're not remembering just our sin, but we're remembering what Jesus purchased for us at the cross. The old covenant reminded you of your lack. The new covenant reminds you of your promise and your inheritance. Many people approach this with fear because they think it brings shame. But when you find out that you've been living in a sin, it's not a moment of shame, it's a moment of victory because now you can repent. And when you start to shift the way that you think, that when you begin to get convicted by the Lord of something that's maybe a stronghold or something you didn't even realize you were struggling with, it's not a moment to run, but it's a moment to celebrate because now you're at the moment of your victory. You see, in the old covenant, there, 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 there was just the hope that a Messiah would come. But in the new, he's already come. And he's already purchased your inheritance by his blood and by his body. When Jesus came, he taught that the Father did not desire another animal sacrifice or multiple burnt offerings. But by being the sacrifice that forgives and removes sin, he abolished the animal sacrifice and replaced the system with his new covenant. And we have been purified and made holy once and for all. Meaning Jesus does not need to go on every year laying down his life. But when he laid it down, he laid it down once and for all. And in doing so, he changed your identity. That you would no longer be called sinners, but saints. And he gives you freedom to live different. He calls us brethren. That because of his blood, we become brethren. We become adopted. You know, we're all, every human being on the earth is the creation of God. But you become sons and daughters of God at your salvation. Because at your salvation, he adopts you as sons and daughters. I said it in the first service, this is not, you know, in the Bible. But I like to think of it like this. Because it's his, his heart and desire that none should perish, but all that would be saved. And so it's this reality that he has these adoption papers filled out for every single person on the earth. He's just waiting for them to sign their name on the line and say, yes, be my father too. That was what was purchased at the cross. The other reality as I was sharing, you know, they, in the old, in the covenants of old, they would 
separate, tear open the, the, the body of an animal, to make the covenant. And at the cross, at the moment of his death, it says that the veil was torn. But the reason that the veil was torn was because his body was broken open. His body being torn is what tore the veil. So that we could go through his body, through his veil, into the holy place. His death and resurrection is what made a way for you to enter into the holy place. It's why the scripture then says, by his, because of his blood, we can approach boldly the throne of grace. And I love this too. When I come into intercession or I'm in a worship set or you know, I'm encouraging someone, I don't know, different, different times, different seasons, sometimes I'm reminded, oh, I could pray in this room, but I could also remind myself that I have access to the heavenly places. And I don't know quite how it works, but when you study theology, you realize that the heavenly realm, it's not this distant, faraway place that many of us grew up learning. It's not this heavens that's far away and this massive separation between earth. But actually, the heavenlies are all overlapping the earthly realm. And there's this reality that we have access to the heavenly places. In fact, we have a seat in the heavenly places. And we get to access that even in intercession. So sometimes I'll take out Revelation 4 and 5 and I'll read about the, the throne room and realizing I can approach God in this throne room. And obviously I'm doing it in my mind's eye. You know, I'm not having these encounters where all of a sudden now I'm somewhere else. But I will in my heart position myself before God. And when I pray, I'm not just praying these prayers in, in, in this room. But I'm closing my eyes and leaning with my heart and seeing myself before the throne of God. Why? Because I'm allowed to be there because of the blood of Jesus. The high priests, they were the one who goes in for us. Jesus being the kingly high priest is the one that went in for you. We can sincerely come close to God because we are sprinkled by the blood and we are made pure on the inside and on the out. And I love how even in the midst of talking about all this in Hebrews, it's, it starts to say, and don't forsake the gathering together of the assembly as some have begun to forsake. And I can't help but know that and think that he, you know, they, they realize that in the other places of scripture, in the gospels, that you know, they, they hear the account. Every time you gather, do this in remembrance of me. And so it's like this writer of Hebrews, which we don't quite know who wrote Hebrews, he's revealing the result of the new covenant of this blood and then just throws in and don't forsake the gathering because he understood that if we gather, we would do what Jesus said. We would remember. And this remembrance, it's not just to remember history. We're not just memorizing a story, but it's, it's remember, take the blood, take the body and do this in remembrance of me because there is an invitation to experience to experience the effects and the results of the blood that was shed for you. Have the worship team coming up. First Peter 1, 2, we see that the sprinkled ones 
are chosen by the Father, the ones covered in blood. He chooses us. He sets us apart. He sanctifies us by his Holy Spirit and that we are followers of Jesus. 1 Peter 1.19, it says that our ransom was paid by his blood. Now, if you can put up 1 John 1.7. 1 John 1.7. It says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, it's this picture of fellowship. You can leave it up there. It's this picture of fellowship, this picture of gathering. I really believe that there is a dimension of power that the Lord wants to release to his church when we gather around the blood and body of Jesus. You realize you can't have the blood and body of Jesus without Jesus, right? And so we're coming to the table of the Lord with the feast being him, with the goal being him. No, we don't gather around the name Life Center. We don't gather around the name Jehab. We gather around the name Jesus. He's the one that brings us together. But I, I really believe that there is a power that is reserved for a people who know how to rightly approach the table of the Lord. Do you want to take the bread? you want to peel off this top layer if you can? Now, I know I went through this fast and I gave you a lot of scripture references. I'm telling you, I've been going through it the past, we, we have Tuesday, Wednesday prayer sets here. I've been in the prayer sets just reading those verses and just asking myself the questions, well, what does this mean for me then? And what does this mean for me, not just in my salvation, but in my everyday life? What does that look, how can I live different? Is there anything that I'm thinking that needs to adjust? Okay, your blood's given me a clean conscience. Okay, well, what part? of my mind still needs to be renewed and it can be because I have the blood and this phrase that came from Peter Lewis that I heard two years ago you know the blood of of the lamb still runs warm and it's just this reality that it, his blood doesn't dry up it doesn't lose its effect but from 2,000 years ago to till today it is still holding power. His body still is broken for your healing. His body still made a way and still makes a way for you to go into the holy place. His blood still works. We see also in the scripture, we didn't have time to read all of them. That his, if you need an element, just raise your hand. I know some of you guys might have came in. But his blood still allows you and still invites us into the power. It actually says that his blood speaks a better word, greater than Abel's blood that cries out from the ground. Abel's blood cried out for justice, but Jesus' blood releases mercy. 
doesn't mean he's no longer a God of justice, but it's just mercy triumphs over judgment, over justice. And I've come before the Lord and I take this communion and in my life, I've come to realize, Lord, I don't wanna just do this out of routine. And you can apply this to every area of our Christian walk. You know, coming in on a Sunday, just because that's what you do, because you're Christian. Or singing during worship, because that's just what we do, because it's our culture. We're just taking this because we think that the cracker and the blood saves us. This cracker doesn't save you. This blood doesn't save you. It represents the one who does. And realizing that this whole life is to be lived by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And to approach this with faith, meaning eyes to see into the unseen. And I begin to see as the Lord has healed relationships as we've come before the communion table. I begin to see as it begins to heal bodies. I've seen him open doors of breakthrough. I've seen him heal unforgiveness. I've seen him deliver from demons and spiritual oppression. I've seen as, you know, I'm married almost nine years. And when I first met my in-laws, they would literally travel around. I thought it was the Bi a Bible case, but it was actually traveling communion. I was, I was like, oh, they're traveling their Bible everywhere. But they actually were traveling with communion elements everywhere they went. And just, they'd be at a restaurant, they'd be somewhere, and they'd meet someone like, let's take communion together. And I watched in their lives as, like, it was an evangelism tool. It was a breakthrough tool. It was an encouragement. People who were in depression would be lifted off people who were felt stuck felt like their life was just like in quicksand they felt like they were living in darkness it would turn on the light when you approach this table and you approach these elements you are approaching the living God it says he sets a table before you in the presence of your enemies do you know who's at the table of the Lord you and him. And you can continue to look at your enemy or you can continue to navel gaze and look at yourself or you can approach the table and you can look at him and see the creator, the savior, the helper, however he's revealing himself to you in that moment at the table. So what I wanna do, I wanna take 60 seconds and want you guys as Corinthians tells us, to bring before him anything that needs to be made right. You know what it is. It's the things that always come right to the front of your mind every time this comes out. Bring that before him. Take 60 seconds, just have a conversation with him.
It says that on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. He says, this is my body, broken for you. I like to break this cracker, just remind myself of a real physical body that was broken for me. Let's remember him, his body broken today. Let's take this together. It says, in like manner, he took the cup. And he took the wrapper off the top. Just kidding. <laughs> he took the cup and he said, this is my covenant. New covenant, my blood. And what we learned today This blood brought all who would believe into a new and living way. Not just to forgive us of our sin so that we would have eternity in heaven, but so that we could live different here on the earth. So Father, we remember, we take this cup, and we partake together. We say thank you. Let's take together. If you could stand with me. I want to challenge you guys this week, maybe in the coming weeks, you know, get some bread or matzah. Maybe you want to get some challah. I don't know. Get some juice or wine. Maybe have moments of communion with the Lord on your own. Maybe do it at the family table. Maybe do it with friends. But I want to pray this over us, and then I'm going to invite up anyone who wants prayer. I know we're some minutes over. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about, as I said before, when you approach the table in a wrong way. The reality is if you approach it in a right way, it says that you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It says that we, if we examine ourselves rightly, that there's a blessing in it rather than judgment. That instead of weakness, we get strength. Instead of sickness, we get health. Instead of many among us having a shortened life, we have a full life. It says instead of disunity, we walk in unity. Instead of disorder, we walk in order, in alignment. Father, I ask you to release a grace and revelation on the blood and body of your Son. Father, we feel your presence in this place. And God, I ask that you would lead us in this. We believe that we're coming into a, a communion revival. We believe we're coming into a movement of people who know the blood and body and what that means for them 
and for the earth. Father, I pray that we would enter in to the fullness of life, to what you're doing and what you have done for us. Forgive us for approaching the table of the Lord idly. Forgive us for approaching the table of the Lord just simply out of routine. But Lord, we commit to come back to your table to receive of the, the bread and the wine, your body, your blood, and that it would lead into a, a host of people who know what it means to abide, who know what it means to come into the holy place, who know how to approach the throne of grace with boldness. And as many of us go through these scripture references this week and next, would you reveal, spirit of revelation, would you reveal the truth of the scripture about the blood and the body of your son? Thank you, Lord. If you're here today, you would, you would like prayer for whatever it is. The altars are open. Love to pray. We have a team that's going to pray with you. If our ministry team can make their way up as well. But I also want to encourage you to, if you need healing today, there's healing in the blood. If you're struggling with addiction and sin, there is reconciliation in the blood of Jesus. We want to pray with you today. For those of you who are going, we bless you as you go. For those who need to pick up your kids, kids' churches end it. But if you want prayer, just come on up and we'll pray with you. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at Life Center NYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.